Greetings, welcome back, and hello, everyone. This is the Product Uncensored show with your host, Colin Pell, and today we are recording episode 17. Now, there are four very important things that I need to go through before we get into our special guest for today. Um, so here are the four things. Number one, I write at www.productuncensored.com. Number two, if you want to check out our videos, we are on YouTube. And while you are watching those videos, don't forget to subscribe and also click um, the bell icon there so that you will always be notified when we have new content. If you like podcasts, we podcasts, we are available on all major podcasting platforms. Um, don't forget to follow there as well. And finally, if you would like to support this show, uh, there is a description, uh, there is an, a link in the description uh, to buy me a coffee. So these are the four very important things. And today I want to jump straight into our very special guest. Now, today's show, again, it is special because uh, this is the first time I'm having uh, female guests back to back. So the last guest we had on the show was Radhika. Uh, and today we have another special female leader. She's a product leader who has graced the stage at events such as Product Management Festival, APAC, and also this year's Leading the Product uh, Digital Conference. Uh, she's the founder of Women in Product Singapore and currently the product lead at TransferWise for uh, AU and NZ. She's none other than Christine Sue. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, fantastic. Um, I, I'm really, really excited that this has happened. So a little bit of background for you guys. We've had to sort of reschedule and try to match our timings as well. So finally, this is happening. So I'm super, super excited. So maybe I'll start off with um, by congratulating you because I think you've made the finalist of BNT uh, Women Leading in Product Tech Awards. All right. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. So that that's really great. Um, and you have been like super busy. I see that you've been on you know LTP and you've got a few more conferences. I think finished or or in coming up. I believe one was a. Uh, for this conference. year, it's finished. I was supposed to be involved with Money 2020 as well, but uh, they yes. canceled the conference. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, it was that. Well, it, it went digital, actually, I should say. Okay. All right. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later about, you know, the whole idea of, you know, things being digital. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. kind of sucks, especially with COVID kind of blew everybody's plans out of the water. Um, so let's start with who you are, because that's obviously the most interesting part of the show. Um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, where you're from, where you grew up. Okay. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Sacramento, California. It's the capital of California, for those of you that think it's <laughs> <laughs> um, And then I spent my entire life uh, in California. I went to university there. I worked in Silicon Valley for a few years. Um, and they decided that I wanted to see a bit of APAC uh, and see how I can impact the, the challenges and the problems here, uh, learn from the different uh, markets and cultures. So um, now I'm, I've been in Singapore for the last three years. Fantastic. Um, we're going to start with your study. So you studied, uh, you studied in uh, University of California, uh, Bachelor of Arts and International Studies in Economics and Business. Um, yeah. So 
how did you get from there into product management? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't think I knew what product management was when I was in university, but uh, I I had started working when I was a sophomore, mostly to pay for uh, spring break trips and and small vacations between between summer break and whatnot. Um, and then I I thought like everyone else I would do uh, finance and um, get into being a banker. Uh, so I interned actually at UBS, which is a wealth management firm. That was my first like professional internship. Um, hated it <laughs> and realized, okay, even though I, I, I like uh, business management and the concepts that I was learning in school, um, it wasn't the culture uh, that I felt was right for me. And in particular, it was just, it was too, too professional. I wanted something a bit more um, hustle, but mm. laid back. <laughs> and that's actually San Diego. It's a perfect description of San Diego. So I left the wealth management internship and then I applied for a product management internship at Sony. Um, and that was when I first started working in tech. So as a junior in university, I worked uh, for the PlayStation uh, store uh, e-commerce platform. So I learned a lot from uh, the initial team there. They mentored me, gave me a ton of opportunity. And then from there, I learned about product management. And I uh, started to like, you know, be more involved in the features, uh, get a bit more ownership rather than just timelines. I was starting to influence the direction of, of how the feature could be built. Um, and then, yeah, after graduation, I took on a full-time role with, with Sony, continued doing project management because the product role wasn't officially set up yet. Um, and then after a couple of years, transitioned over into product. Okay. okay. That happened organically. <laughs> In that way, yeah. It, it's quite the common story for most, especially for most of the guests I interview on the show, right. that it's usually something that wasn't planned. But then from there, once you get in, or or rather once you find out what it is that you're doing, the transition is usually quite quite organic. So yeah, it, it sounds just about right. <laughs> Even the accidental <laughs> yeah, part. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to come back to one question, or sorry, or one comment that you made. Right. You you said you hated the the your time in 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 wealth management mainly because you know it was too professional and you wanted something a little bit more laid back. Um, laid back is not exactly the term that I hear many people use for you know startups and and um, and product management. So the question is, you know, when you went from UBS to 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 Sony, did you get the laid back that you were looking for? Yeah, I guess when I say laid back, I don't mean like it's a relaxing job, but I mean um, you take a step back and you realize there's actually a lot of different problems you could be solving. Whereas I think in wealth management, it was very much focused on the end goal, which was maximizing revenue. Um, whereas I think within um, the roles that I was in in product, it was it's much more well-rounded. And you think about um, how can I impact the world in a, a more positive way? At least <laughs> I don't want to make it seem like in the finance world it's bad. It's just more it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, and it didn't resonate with it as much. So that's what I mean. It's not, certainly product is not a laid back role. Uh, but it allows you to take a step back and, and really look at how you can impact change across different angles. And that's what I like. It's the variety of, of different challenges that you're, you're facing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That 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 is a lot clearer now. Because like, oh, wow. Laid back is not really the term <laughs> I've used very often. Yeah. 
Yeah. So right. let, let's talk about Sony for a bit as well, because uh, you worked for Sony and obviously, you know, uh, it's a, it, they produce PlayStation. So obviously almost all the male viewers here and the female gamers here would be like, oh, she worked for PlayStation. Um, did, was it intentional that you applied for Sony or was that something that also happened, you know, as things went? I mean, there weren't that many um, tech opportunities in San Diego. I think it's primarily known for bioengineering, biomedical um, industry. So it was between Sony and a couple other technology players. I think Sony resonated the most because it was, it was fun. I mean, you just have this concept of growing up playing games. Like I was a big and Nintendo 64 player. I did Game Boy. So um, it just seemed the most fun. <laughs> so okay. I, I optimized on that. Right. So you 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 would you consider yourself a gamer then? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I would like to be. I mean, it was really awesome to be part of the PS4 launch team and uh, see how you know the process of producing such a console along with the platform, the e-commerce platform, uh, how that happens. But uh, I'm not a gamer by heart. I, I got to test games before they came out though, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the part about you know being part of the PlayStation 4 launch team. So that's the part that I'm very interested in to understand yeah. a little bit more. How, how, how does one be a product manager for a game console? Like what, what goes into it? Like you know, what were the crazy challenges? What were the most exciting parts about working on you know, the PlayStation 4 launch team? Well, I mean, Sony is a huge organization, right? So it's... Uh... Anytime there's a huge organization, there's a lot of different, it's, it's a timeline of years to get to the final product. So uh, my involvement was on PlayStation Now, which is the game streaming subscription service, sort of like uh, Netflix for games for Sony. Um, and for me, it was really exciting because uh, it's a brand new product that they've never launched before. Um, so I got a chance to define, you know, who were the core um, target market that we would be building this product for. How does experience look like? So how do we design the catalog? You know, how do we get old games to be streamed on the PS4 and working with the technology teams to get, for example, latency down to zero, <laughs> as close to zero as possible. Yeah. Um, so what was it like? It was a lot of challenges because you got to go from, um, it's basically like a startup mentality. I'm coming up with a new product, but within a really large organization. So in that sense, there's a lot of stakeholders that you, you know, you have to make sure that they're on the same page. Um, you know, we're working between geos. So within San Francisco office, Tokyo, we've got an office in Orange County in Southern California, mm -hmm. uh, London. So I, basically it's, it's tenacity and it's a lot of like, um, you know, pushing uh, the envelope for what you think is important and, and trying to influence people to change probably like older mindsets, right? Like, oh, maybe this is how it was done a few years ago, but now um, we're talking about game streaming. It's different. So let's define what it is. And that was really exciting for me to get that opportunity. Yep. Following from, from that thought, you know, or, or that discussion that we're having right now is that, you know, this was your first product manager role as well. And right. you're having to manage between different geographies and stakeholders, you know, it's a big company. How how did you learn? Um, did you have a mentor in Sony, or you know, were you, you know, just googling for stuff? Um, yeah. What? How did you really bring yourself <laughs> up to that level? 
Googling. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I was very lucky to have joined the company when, so I worked for the startup division within Sony. We call it um, Sony Network Entertainment. And now it's called Sony Interactive Entertainment. But basically the startup division was, I think, 50 people in the San Francisco office. So it felt very much like a family, a very small group of people. And um, they, they took me in and, and mentored me. Like everyone gave me good feedback um, when I was a young, starry-eyed graduate from university. Um, I think frequently the only female off the table um, built my perseverance to you know, continue taking the day, taking the problems on. And I think at, at the time when I started working on PlayStation, I was already, been, I was already there for like three and a half, almost four years. Um, so I, I knew a lot of people, and I think they started to realize my work ethic. They started to trust me more over time. And I think that definitely helps, especially when you're taking on a completely new product for a big company, right? Yeah. Um, so I think having that foundation helps. The second thing is being super um, uh, good about asking questions. So I never made it seem like I knew everything, right? <laughs> I think the beauty about being product is that you're supposed to be focusing on asking the right questions, right? Yeah. And so I, I did a lot of that in the beginning to make sure, um, you know, I got feedback from folks and we were kind of all on the same page. I also think it was important to develop a shared vision. So um, it wasn't like it was my way or the highway. Like I'm not a gamer myself, right? Mm. But I can empathize with the target market and um, I could get different opinions from folks and, and got buy-in from the engineering team who would ultimately build the product so that everyone saw the same direction. Um, I think that really helped to get it to market success. Okay. And what about the fact that you had to work closely with uh, teams across geographies? What uh, what did you do or what tips do you have about, you know, managing different time zones and, and teams? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's going through that now in some way, <laughs> shape or form because of COVID and not being able to travel and, and working remotely. So, um, you know, back then, we, we had the same, I mean, we had similar tools. I think it was like WebEx or- Oh, um, well, the days of WebEx. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, I think the, the important thing is like spending time with people. And it's obviously more important if you can do it in person to build the rapport. But um, if, you, if you have to do it on, on video, um, I think it's really important to understand like why people do what they do. Um, I'm very much a people first type of leader where um, I prioritize like making sure I understand people's motivations, um, their own goals, so I can also help them accomplish what they're looking for in the workplace outside of what we're building as a team, right? And that's really important. Um, so relationship is one important thing. And the tip for that was just spending extra effort to like get to know them beyond, hey, what's the status on this deliverable, right? Mm. Mm. Secondly, I think uh, being super organized and having checklists. So you're doing a bunch of asynchronous communications, right? You're waking up to messages. You're going to sleep with asking questions and then waking up to the answers. So you have to be really detailed about um, what is it you're looking for and response of, especially with language barriers, you have to be super clear. So I also experimented with recording my voice and recording that as a message, mm. as well as written medium format, as well as PowerPoint. So you have to figure out what's the best medium for the audience that you're, you're trying to reach. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, cultural, uh, you know, mannerisms are also like, you have to read between the lines, but, but I think it's important that you don't make assumptions, like always ask for clarity if you don't understand what they're, they're trying to say. Mm. Yeah. Good tips, good tips. 
Now, last question about um, your time at Sony before we move on. When you took this product manager role, um, again, it's sort of like a new world. Um, granted, you'd been in Sony before that, so probably it helped a little bit to soften the landing. Uh, but this is a, this was a discussion I was having with another guest, and I thought it would be really cool to ask you as well. Like when you started or in the early days, right? Did you find yourself asking yourself, like, did I rate, make the right choice? Is product management for me, or, or were you in this? Uh, feeling where you're like, oh, I, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, what, what, what were you feeling at that time when you first transitioned into product management? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, when you're not a PM and you look at what PMs do, you kind of see, oh, wow, it seems really fun to be able to um, sell a vision and get people to build it. And, and it is fun. But, but what you don't see is like all the hard work that goes behind the scenes. and um, I think when I, my first impression, like probably my first three months, I was like, okay, <laughs> it, it, you think, okay, this is the output, but the input is actually, uh, I would say even more important because you have to get the inputs right before you can deliver an output that makes sense for everyone. Right. So I, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was definitely more stressed in the beginning about whether this was the right role for me, um, mm. mostly because you, you think in the beginning you need to be good at everything. Yes. But over time, you learn, um, these are my strengths. I'm going to capitalize on my strengths. These are the things I'm not as good at, and I'm going to figure out how others can help me um, elevate there or figure out you know, how can I um, take on roles that are you know, complementary to my, my strong skill sets. So I think having that maturity uh, over time of knowing what kind of PM you are um, helps to make it easier. But yeah, it, my mindset pretty much changed. Like in the beginning, I was like, I got to be good at everything. And that as a PM, it, that means everything except for potentially coding. So, um, and I think I put a little bit too much pressure in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Though I think looking back, that did give me the, the grit and the tenacity to handle, you know, whatever type of challenges um, would come in the workplace today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, it's really, really good to hear. Now let's fast forward and let's talk about okay. how how did you end up in Singapore? Like, why did you move? I mean, I'm sort of bypassing your time at, at Zillow for um, um for for this uh, session. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm more interested in what was the thought process or why did you decide to to come to go to Singapore? Yeah, I think it starts with both personal and professional goals, right? So. Uh, personally, I was at a time where I didn't have so many um, obligations. Like I didn't, I, I don't have a, a, my own family yet. Um, I I didn't own big assets, and I still don't. <laughs> but, uh, and so it was like a great time to like you know, if not now, then when? Type of question, right? And when I was in university, I always wanted to study abroad and live somewhere else to experience the cultures, learn and grow. And I never got to do that. I was very focused on. Um, doing well in the university and also getting a great job after school. So yeah, after a few years of working, I was like, you know, I think it feels like this is the right time. So that was my personal goal of um, living on my own and going outside of my comfort zone. Literally everyone I was surrounded with are born and raised Californian. So um, I think I was one of the very, I'm still only the first person that's gone out to Singapore in my, in my group of friends. Um, so that it was a personal goal to just get outside of my comfort zone. Okay. On the professional side, I thought that APAC region is definitely where the growth is at. I mean, it's where the majority of the world's population lives. And um, I think 
you know, in the US, some of the tech companies tend to focus a lot just on solving domestic problems. Yeah. But they don't realize like this is where the growth is. This is the region where most people um, still are are mobile first, right? They don't have laptops. And I wanted to see what it was like to to build product here. Um, and I thought this is the direction where, you know, and it, true, Google's expanded here, you know, Stripe's expanded here. So I think a lot of tech companies are starting to see the value within APAC region and significantly invest in in resources here. So it was more so to get along to get ahead of the curve and like really learn um, how to build product within APAC region. Okay. Yeah, it's very interesting because when you're talking about how you, you wanted to get out of your comfort zone and move somewhere else, usually for, for us in Asia, it's the other way around, right? You want to get out of your comfort zone and go to the US and, and you're doing it the, the opposite direction. So yeah, I just thought the, yeah, the contrast in goals there was very interesting. Uh, but the question that comes following from what you just said is why Singapore, you know, why not, you know, Indonesia where, you know, I think at the time that you moved to Singapore, it was like 2016, 2017, is that right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be around the time that, you know, Indonesia's tech scene was like really exploding um, or maybe even uh, Philippines or Vietnam. So why, why Singapore of all the countries? Well, I do have some, like, I'm, I'm a bit, um, like a little bit risk adverse in that way as well, right? So why Singapore? I think, well, one, I didn't spend so much time searching for opportunities. I was actually poached, right? So um, I had the goal of going to, to APAC um, and I targeted a few countries, including Hong Kong. Um, and I spoke to people that actually like uh, reached out to me first. So to be fair, like from the first conversation to me moving, it was less than a month's time. So I didn't do as much like, you know, what are the, the opportunities in Indonesia? What are the opportunities in Thailand? I, I didn't really go through that, that level of research. I, I spoke to people that I enjoyed speaking to and then thought, well, why not Singapore? Um, it's English speaking, so it would be still within a level of comfort, right? Like I'm not, I'm not going from like one completely different language. And, and you know, I think that would be interesting, but I, I was still very risk adverse in that way. Like I moved but uh, it's still within a very comfortable, safe environment in Singapore. Um, yeah. And I also thought, you know, Singapore has the infrastructure to, mm. um, you know, then be able to travel within these other markets. Uh, and, and yeah, like as a single woman, I thought it was a safe place to, to start. Then if I wanted to move somewhere else, I could, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be forever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So talk, 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 talk to me about that, that, poaching part because I'm very curious to know like that because uh, I think you're referring to the time where uh, Money Smart approached you to, yes. to yeah so how does that happen does someone from you know just call you up and say hey Christine would you like to move you like let me think about it okay yes let's go you know uh, how did that happen you know because you said it was less than a month so it would have been like a big transition for you and you still did everything in the space of four weeks <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the States, we only have two week notice period mm-hmm. uh, normally. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like I think I was just ready. I was just ready to go. So th- there's not much that I had to like sort out, right? Like I said, I don't have my own family. There's no assets. So it was just packing up and, uh, you know, ending my rental lease and moving over. So there wasn't too much. And I'm so surprised I got it done, to be honest. Um, but yeah, the poaching was, I think, uh the cpo at the time was 
like saw my resume through probably a, an application that I submitted mm -hmm. for another startup. Um, so it was kind of like a referral from a different company, I think. Um, and then we just had a really good conversation um, about what the opportunity was in, in um, Singapore and their expansion plans to Hong Kong. And I think that kind of hit the nail on the head where I was like, I kind of wanted to see what Hong Kong was like. Like I'm actually Cantonese. Mm. I, I wanted to actually pick up more Cantonese and, and that's what um, the language is in Hong Kong alongside yeah. English. So it felt like a really safe, but uh, applicable domain that I could influence because it was also within um, the personal finance comparison space. And I had mm. been working on uh, mortgages and home loans at yeah. Zillow. Zillow. So the domain was quite relevant. I also wanted to invest more in um, FinTech um, and then the problems there. So yeah, it just worked out. Like it was one conversation leading to another. I met with the team. I flew here for I think five days to meet with the rest of the team and they were super welcoming. And then after that initial week, I flew back to, to San Francisco and gave them my notice. I sent them my notice. So yeah. I'm still <laughs> so amazed. You, so fast. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm still so impressed that you, you make it sound so easy. It's like, yeah, I didn't have anything. Just pack and go. Like that's that's halfway around the world. So no, it's and, and it's crazy. Like I didn't even tell my family. Uh, I didn't give them that much notice either. You know. And so, um, but I think truthfully, they kind of knew. Like I was quite ambitious in mm. in going beyond like staying in San Francisco for for like the next few years. Like they knew I kind of had plans. Like push myself beyond my comfortable yeah. boundaries. Even though, to be fair, like Singapore is. You know, one would say it's not that uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. But it's because I didn't do all the research. Like, I really just said, okay, cool, Hong Kong or Singapore, and then had the conversation here and decided to move. Very nice. And let's talk about that, the part of the Hong Kong, um, you know, the Hong Kong part, because at Money Smart, I think you were also involved with expanding into Hong Kong and yeah. building the team there. Um, I think I, I, I was in one of your talks where you talked about, you know, you showed pictures of the, the, the flat that you were working out of, if I remember correctly. Um, so there, how was the experience like? Because obviously Hong Kong and Singapore are very, very different. Singapore is very uh, metropolitan in that sense, very heavy on the English side. Whereas Hong Kong has like these two cultures that live side by side, right? You know, the, the very English speaking expat type. And then you have the really sort of like, you know, that's what makes Hong Kong very appealing, right? Almost that old school feel. Yeah. How, how was it like to, to work with the people there? Did you have to overcome like language barriers? I mean, I don't know how much Cantonese you speak, so maybe it was very comfortable for you. But yeah, what, what were the kind of challenges that you faced um, in Hong Kong? Yeah, so Hong Kong, it was, um, it, it was so much energy. And I remember just being overwhelmed with that energy. Like so many people, it's so densely populated, right? So I, I you know, took the, the subway into the uh, Times Square area. And you get off the subway and I'm like bombarded with all these flyers um, asking me to sign up for uh, uh, facial subscriptions. Uh, I don't know what else, right? So then my first impression was like, holy crap, like this is nowhere near the same um, density at all. And I think what I loved about it though was like, it's really gonna push me outside of my comfort zone. Like I, I look Chinese, right? So of course they start speaking to me in Cantonese and um, 
I, I wouldn't say that I was like super fluent. I still am not super fluent because you lose that growing up, right? Mm. Um, so <laughs> I picked it up. I, I just had to like suck it up and, and learn. I really wanted to learn so it was good, but they could tell from my accent that I'm definitely not local. Right, like just from speaking Cantonese, like they're like, why are you speaking Cantonese so funny? You know, like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite obvious. So, what I what Hong Kong taught me was like, uh, you do have to be quite vocal for what you want because you're in a sea of a lot of different people. So even if I want to order a pineapple bun at the store, I can't just stand there and like think they're going to come and ask me if I want something. I literally had to go to the counter and like. Ugh. <laughs> One pineapple bun, or I'd be standing there, you know, for 20 minutes. So that's not something I was used to. I wasn't, it wasn't so comfortable, but I started doing that and I started feeling more confident in my abilities to, to, to ask for what I want, um, to be clear about what I want. And if I couldn't say it, I just literally say, I don't know, like just tell her uh, and, or the uncle that yeah, I really don't know. <laughs> um, and also like you, you know, I felt like I was under a lot of pressure to like, uh, not just saying no to all these subscriptions that are being thrown at me, but like to not get scammed as well. There were times where I was like, are they like being truthful? So it really taught me to read between the lines. And good thing is like everything was fine. Like people were great and I've never gotten scammed, but I had to like really question like, okay, good, bad. Like what, 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 what do I, how do I read people, especially in a different language? So yeah, I don't know how to put into exact words, like what I learned there, but it was a lot of like, like I say grit, a lot of like building my own confidence, learning how to say no and like really being upfront about what I want, like going to the mm. counter, clearing the counter if I have to. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and that was very different from, you know, the lifestyle I had in, in California. So what about building, you know, the, the product team in Money Smart for Singapore and Hong Kong? Um, if, I, if I understand it correctly, that there were, there were product managers in both Singapore and Hong Kong, and you were responsible for hiring for, for the teams there as oh, well? Actually, most of the teams uh, were are based in Singapore. So the product team and the engineering team are based in Singapore. We have some engineers in um, the Philippines as well. But in Hong Kong, it was mostly a content team. Right. Uh, yeah, but I, I was the first uh, PM to build the initial product in Hong Kong. Um, so that meant that I did have the opportunity to live there for three months. Uh, set up the office, um, figuring out what's the uh, product that we should launch uh, <laughs> with in Hong Kong. Because in Singapore, there was already established product lines, but mm -hmm. figuring out what's the right product for Hong Kong. Um, doing a lot of user research yeah. and speaking to customers in Cantonese, in my broken Cantonese. Um, all of that was really awesome. And then coming yeah. back to Singapore, working with the developers to define exactly what the product will eventually look like. Uh, working with the designers here as well, and then hiring the team to expand the, the product uh, uh, the product team into different verticals. So then I ended up looking after the expansion and the home loans vertical. And then there was like a credit cards vertical and insurance vertical. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the team grew from, I think I was probably PM number two or three to six or seven at the end of it. Okay, yeah. So about the part where you know you spent three months in Hong Kong and you were trying to understand what to launch for Hong Kong, are there maybe like two or three things that were super important for you, um, or, or you know any frameworks that you used or any practices that you had that really was super helpful for you in your time in Hong Kong that you you can share with the listeners and viewers? 
hmm, tools that helped me define exactly what we should launch in Hong Kong. Yeah. I mean, or, or basically any any new market, right? Because this is something that was new. So yeah, how, how did you decide what to what to launch? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a lot of different uh, resources out there for doing mm-hmm. competitive market analysis and whatnot. But I think for me, it was like three main questions, like uh, how do we play, mm-hmm. right? So what's the, the plan for, for playing in the Hong Kong market? Um, why do we play like knowing the mission and like uh what's the ultimate goal so let's say if your goal was revenue you might prioritize some other things if your goal was user acquisition um that then you might prioritize a different set mm-hmm. um and then it's like what do we build <laughs> what are the the key aspects of the product that people would resonate with to get to um the end goal and uh i just started those three questions uh of course, you look at some some of what the the market needs are. So, like you look at what people, uh, what are the big pain points that people go through with personal finance. That led us to understanding what kind of content we needed to produce. But content was a good means of driving um, traffic and acquisition, and then from there, getting them to look at personal finance products so that they're more savvy when it comes to making uh, better financial decisions for themselves. Right. So that's the main mission of the company is to make people help people make savvier financial decisions. Um, and so basically gave them the tools to do that. Whether we started with credit cards or home loans or insurance was really up to what the market needed. And, and to prioritize those product verticals, I spoke to a lot of customers. Um, I looked out, you know, I asked them to show me like how they manage their finances today. What are the tools that they use and what's a big pain point that they have? And then grouping those pain points into themes. Uh, led us to figuring out what was the ultimate product roadmap. All right, thank you. That that's very enlightening. So yeah, I think if anyone who's listening or watching and they're trying to to figure out what how to do it, I think Christina has given us quite interesting uh, and quite good um, tips on what you can do. Um, of course, you do your homework for more specifics, but I think those that those are good guidelines to to go on with. Now let's move to, or, or maybe let's start with a question of um, why did you decide to move to Transferwise? Uh, I think I was at a point where, oh, it's awesome to be able to expand to a new market. And I was really happy about building the team culture at Money Smart. Um, and then I was like, okay, I realized that underlying um, personal finance is, is money movement. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, like you can't, like you can get a home loan, but uh, you need to be able to fil- facilitate money movement somewhere. And I was very interested in learning like one level deeper how money moves. Um, and, and I also was really passionate about like equalizing the playing field for people um, that worked really hard to, to earn money. One way of helping them equalize it is by giving them a platform to compare products. But another way is also to like make sure that we're charging fairly for um, payments around the world. And um, I learned about TransferWise by going to one of their uh, talks on, on their, um, in the Singapore office. And it was really fascinating, but I was, I was really fascinated by their mission. And, and that was to make sure that it's money without borders. People can send money um, instantly uh, as free as possible, as fast as possible, as cheap as possible, as easy as possible. And I loved it because it was all about making it fair. Um, and I didn't realize like banks were charging 6x the amount for um, a transaction. 
And for, you know, let's say a hardworking mom who wants to send her kid to the UK for school, like why would I want them to pay 6X to the bank? Why not um, actually just make it as, as convenient and as cheap as possible? So I felt I really resonated with that. So the opportunity was awesome and the mission uh, really resonated with me. So I, I thought it was a good opportunity to take up. Okay. So now here's one, one um, very interesting question as well, because I've had this with multiple people, right? So it sounds like you moved in part to TransferWise because you resonated with the mission. Um, and that, that's what you said. How important is it for a product person or product leader to actually feel passionate about the product that they're working for? I, I think it varies on... on from person to person, what mm -hmm. their what drives them, right? I wouldn't say there's like one answer for everyone. Um, I will say though that is is important to have um, some kind of pushing factor, and if that push factor on your really worst days of the PM, like you could be doing things that you don't want to do, mm -hmm. whether that's I don't know, it could be writing copy or, or digging into um digging into a, a a bug that that the team can't reproduce you know there are days where it's not that glamorous but what's going to push you to still um, do the best that you can as a pm and i think uh for me the the guiding principle has always been when i worked on products that were aligned with the mission and and that mission needs to align somewhat in my desire to make a difference in, in some way in the world, right? So um, yeah, like you don't necessarily have to like, for example, like the, uh, like mortgages. Like I definitely don't think mortgages is a particularly fun product, but it was more of like what it stood for. And what I loved was that it was so applicable to everyone that had a dream about buying their first home. And if I felt like I could influence that dream, like that made me feel really good as a PM. So. Bottom line for me is that, for me, it's it's a push factor that I need to be quite aligned with the mission and 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 my that accomplish my own personal goal. Yeah. Uh, and maybe for others it's not, but that's how it is for me. Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna push the envelope just a bit more, right? So this is yeah. purely from your perspective. If I were to ask you, you know, Christine, passion or purpose, which is more important for you? Passion or purpose. Oh, why can't it be both? It's a question. It's a question. <laughs> <laughs> because that, so the 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 context behind it is it's it's been a discussion. So some people have been writing about how important it is for a product manager to have passion versus a product manager knowing their purpose, and you know whether that's the difference between the two. So yeah, the the question for for you as a guest is yeah. So if you had to choose, which one would you say ranks higher in your your guiding principles or yeah, your first principles, I guess. So I think that there are so many people that um, are still looking for their passion, mm. right? And it, does that mean that you can't be a good PM because you don't know exactly what your passion is? No, I don't think so. Um, I think the reason why, you know, we go through our careers and it's, it's a journey in itself of learning what it is that you're passionate about, right? And you might be lucky if you find it earlier or you might be, you know, you might find it later. But I don't think that if you don't have a specific passion, like you can't do a good job. I think they're, mm -hmm. they're quite different. 
So yeah, I would say passion comes when it comes and it comes by you trying and you taking one step forward every day. Um, on purpose, like I think similarly, maybe people don't know exactly what their life's purpose is, mm. but maybe I would reframe that to think like, well, you know what you're trying to learn. You're trying, you know exactly what you're trying to learn and what your next maybe immediate hypothesis is of what you want to be. So I think that's important to have. So knowing your, what's, why are you taking today? Why are you waking up today? That's your, I think that's important to have. That might not be your ultimate life purpose, but knowing that, you know, you are working towards something in, that's for yourself, for your family or for whoever, that's really important. But I, would, I wouldn't say that's life purpose though. I would just say like knowing your why every day is quite important. Mm-hmm. That would motivate, I think, most people to, to start to continue to push along. Okay. Yeah. I don't see it as finite things. I think they evolve as well, right? Like yeah. you could have a passion for coffee today, but then like later down the line, you have a passion for cars. Um, and today your purpose might be to, to grow into a product leader because you want to ABC. Uh, but maybe later on, maybe your purpose is to grow um, your kids and your family and be a good uh, father or mother figure to them. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, last question on TransferWise. Um, so you're based in Singapore, um, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're handling um, the Australia and New Zealand That's market. Right. Um, yeah, how how does that work? Because obviously you're not in the same geography. Wouldn't it be easier for you to be there? Uh, and also, yeah, I mean, this is the state of play. And how, how do you manage as a product manager or product leader? Yes, technology is awesome. I mean, <laughs> the flight from Singapore to Sydney was about eight hours. Yes. Um, so it wasn't, I actually used to go probably once every six weeks uh, to meet with our partners, um, talk to like various uh, external uh, regulatory bodies, and also had like customer meetups. That was really awesome um, when we could travel. So now, uh, you know, most of the communications have moved to digital versus uh, in person, which, you know, does make it harder, but it's not impossible. And I, I actually find that the, like, velocity of, of work um, hasn't really slowed down. Like, maybe there was a transition period, um, like the first month of being on lockdown, but you just learn to work with different mediums. And so phone calls are more abundant, um, you know, using various tools on on online is really helpful um yeah but i think you know once this is over hopefully i'll uh, be able to go back to to sydney and meet with people and get in person okay we do have a team there as well so we do have a team of five in the office um and and we frequently just liaise on slack zoom same t- yeah. tools as, as most people Hmm. Yeah, but it sounds sounds like whatever the arrangement is, whether you know now it's predominantly using Slack, um, you can't take away the importance of having that face to face communication at least periodically, right? It doesn't have to be like you know every day, but it has to be that periodic face to face interaction. I mean, pre COVID anyway. Yeah, you can't. I think that's still really important. So we try to do um, like virtual team lunches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not it's not exactly the same but i think it i think you need to schedule those outlets otherwise you lose that personable uh like rapport that that and relationship of of working together quite fast right so i think early on learning that you have to make an effort to block out the time for fun 
or and to grow as a team beyond the work that you're doing, that's really important as well. That's been the, the secret sauce to make, making sure everyone is still, you know, okay. Like checking in on people outside of work is also really important during this really tough time. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good words, good words. Okay, um, I'm just aware of time, so um, there are th much many other questions I wanted to ask, but I'm just gonna have to move to the last section. So this okay. is my favorite part, which is the song. Um, yes, um, so usually the song is, you know, just to help people get to know you better as a person and you, you chose a very special song. So you want to tell the viewers and listeners about it? I, I chose a song that always makes me happy. It's uh, Dancing in the Moonlight, Top Loader. And yeah, like it, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was like, well, um, life doesn't have to be, for me, like life doesn't always have to be so serious. Like you, there were days where I was in Hong Kong and it was like Typhoon 8, uh, where you know, everything gets shut down and like windows are smashed and whatnot. And, and you learn to see through like all of those um, challenges. So Dancing in the Moonlight always brings up my spirits whenever um, there are things that are not so great in the world. Very nice. I actually did a bit of um, research into <laughs> the song. Um, and this is actually quite an old okay. song and it's been covered like a couple of times yeah. uh, before Top Loader did it. So yeah, I was like, oh, this is very interesting um, as well. Um, yeah. And so curious to know, um, you chose this song. Was it the song that you grew up to as well? Or was it because so? And the reason why I asked that is because uh, recently I think there was another artist that covered this song. So I'm wondering whether the song came to mind because it was you know something from your, from growing up memories or something that was triggered from a recent um, cover of that song. No, nothing was triggered recently. It's just a song that's like been with me through. I, I play it like before I. Um, once I had a, a really bad conversation or a really crucial conversation, and I play it like in between going to my next session because it just lifts me up again. Um, and I think it just started for me like hearing it for the first time and feeling all these good vibes. So it's, it's I'm kind of the person that like, if I like a song, I'll play it on repeat forever. <laughs> so um, yeah, this is just one of the songs that stuck out. Another, like there's a bunch of other songs that do that as well, but in particular this one, in the most recent years because it, it really resonates with my journey out here in Impact. Okay, very nice. So that song is uh, once again, Dancing in the Moonlight by Top mm -hmm. Loader. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to know, um, it would have been up here somewhere. I can't remember which side it's on, but yeah, the, the link will be up there. Uh, so Christine, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Uh, really, it was really great talking to you. I wish you all the best in Singapore. Hopefully we'll be able to meet again, you know, once COVID is over and things start to normalize a little bit. But before we go, are there any final thoughts or anything, you know, any tips, advice that you'd like to leave with our viewers and listeners? Yeah, so I think uh, maybe some of the listeners are like uh, PMs today who aren't sure like, oh, what's, what's the next big bold step they're gonna take? Cause you know, there's also a lot of like decisions that they need to make on a daily basis. So it could be overwhelming. And my advice is just be bold be bold and don't be afraid because at the end of the day like uh no one has all of the answers um but you need to like you know push through you mostly you, you probably already know your stuff so be bold and push through 
Very nice. Be bold and push through. I like that. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, that was Christine Su, um, who is the product lead for TransferWise, uh, who is on the show. She now calls Singapore home. And to everyone who's at home right now because of you know any restrictions due to COVID, I hope you will stay safe. And for everyone else, just continue being safe and be happy. I will see you at the next episode. Bye-bye.